If God is all-powerful, good, and loving, then why does suffering exist? This is the question that we're going to look at today as we continue in our message series called Barriers to Belief. This is a question that's full of mystery, it's a question with complexity, but it's also a question that brings us face to face with a God who is really, really good and who can help us navigate the suffering we see and the suffering and pain that we experience as we walk through this thing called life. And so to help us get started and help us start thinking through this barrier to belief, we're gonna be in a book of the Bible called Habakkuk. Habakkuk can be found in the part of the Bible before Jesus called the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Habakkuk chapter one. We're gonna pick up the story of Habakkuk right in the first verses in verse two of chapter one, where Habakkuk says this, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Okay, so Habakkuk begins by bringing us face to face with a world of injustice and suffering. In just the few short verses that we've read, we see Habakkuk cry out to God about the conflict and the violence and the wrongdoing and the evil things he sees wicked and evil people doing and getting away with. And the worst part is that God is strangely, strangely silent. And he's seemingly indifferent to what is going on. You could hear it in Habakkuk's voice, this, this angst, this struggle with what he sees and is experiencing and what he knows of God. He's crying out, God, where are you? Are you even listening to me? Are you ignoring me? Don't you see what's going on, God? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you saying anything? How long do I have to ask for help and you don't answer? How long will I have to wait for you to do something and make this world right again? This is the cry of someone faced with suffering and the silence of God. These are the words and questions of someone living in a world where suffering exists and knows that God could make everything better if he wanted to in a moment, but he's not. And as we read these words, we resonate with these words and these questions and what Habakkuk feels because we feel it too, don't we? We look at the world around us and what do we see? We see death and disease. We see cancer. We see people flying planes into buildings. We see natural disasters that kill hundreds and sometimes thousands of people. We see school shootings, bodies of indigenous children being dug up, discarded like nothing more than a product. We see nations invading other nations, people storming government buildings, people selling other people and treating them like a product to sell, people misusing their power and authority in terrible ways. Everywhere we look, it's there. It confronts us that there is evil and suffering in this world. And then there's what we feel on the inside, the pain we feel, the wounds we carry because of the things we've experienced, the things that have been done to us, the hard things that we're going through right now in this moment, in this season. And it leaves us wondering, it leaves us with the question, if this world, if this is the world we live in, God, 
can't be good, can he? And this is a, a problem that C.S. Lewis, the, the famous writer and apologist and, and, and scholar, wrote about and thought about and wrestled with. And listen to what he says about this problem of pain and suffering that we experience. He says, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. This is the problem of pain in its simplest form. See, maybe you've thought about this barrier to belief before. Maybe you've wrestled with it like C.S. Lewis has wrestled with it. And this question, this wrestling match that we go through when suffering comes into our life, it can lead us naturally to ask the question, does God even exist or is God even good? Either of those things come onto the table the moment suffering and evil arrive at our doorstep. And for Habakkuk, it's the same thing. He's wrestling with the good, the goodness of God. He's wondering about it because of what he sees. And we see that in verses 1 to 4, in the face of suffering and injustice, Habakkuk does everything right. He turns to God, but God is silent. He asks God to do something, but God doesn't do anything. And what makes it so challenging is that Habakkuk knows who God is and what God is like. God is no stranger to Habakkuk. Habakkuk has a relationship with him. He knows him. He knows the story of Israel and the God of that story and all the times God has come through for his people when they were experiencing suffering, when they needed rescue, and when they were in a time of hardship. He remembers that. He knows that. It's in his memory bank. And he has a picture of God himself. He has a clear and a compelling picture, a true picture that God had given to a man named Moses that the people of Israel, God's people, relied upon trusted in and brought to mind over and over and over again. And we see this foundational moment in the story of Israel and in their understanding of God in a book called Exodus. There, Moses is standing and God himself passes before Moses and listen to what happens in that moment and what God reveals about himself. Verse 6 says of chapter 34, And he passed, God passed, in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. This is the God of the Bible. He's gracious and merciful. He's patient. He's overflowing with love. He's faithful. He's forgiving. He's just. He's holy. He's good. He's pure. And he's beautiful. This is who God is. This is how he's revealed himself to us and to his people. And yet, we still experience pain. We still suffer. We experience injustice. Our prayers go unanswered. How could a God like this allow this to happen? How do these two things work together? Either God is willing to prevent suffering, but he's not able, or he's able to prevent it, but he's just not willing. So what is it? Which is it? This is the disconnect that we can feel in this conversation. This is the tension that we can feel as we talk about the problem and the barrier of suffering. It's the disconnect between the evil and the suffering that we see and we experience for ourselves with a God who the Bible claims is loving and good. And for some people, this is a deal breaker with God. For some people, 
the presence of suffering gets in the way of them embracing Jesus and following him. And for others of us, it can actually cause us to walk away from Jesus after we've started following him because our prayers go unanswered. We see loved ones hurt. This can actually be a catalyst for us walking away from the one we believe in or we used to believe in. And all of it, all of this, it leaves us with a question. How can I believe in a God who says he is good and loving and able to do anything and yet he allows suffering and pain? That's the question at the heart of this barrier to belief. And that's why this is an important question because suffering and the presence of evil has the ability to affect our response to Jesus. But more than that, and alongside of that, suffering is an unavoidable reality in this world. I mean, Jesus was, was clear about this. I wish he was and I wish he taught something different, but Jesus was clear about this. And one of the stories uh, about his life called the Gospel of John. Jesus is sitting with his followers. It's just before he's going to go to the cross and suffer and die for the sins of the world. And he says this to his followers. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, friend. In this world, you will suffer, experience pain, hardship, and loss. Jesus was very clear about it. He couldn't be much clearer. In this world, we will have trouble. This is an unavoidable reality. I don't need convincing of it because of my own experience, and you probably don't either. And because that's true, because we can't escape the reality of suffering and the presence of evil in this world for now, then we need to take this question and we need to look at it square in the face. We need to find a way to think about it that will help us and give us resources to walk through the suffering and pain we experience. So this is a really important question. But it's also a challenging question because this is a personal question. It's deeply personal. It's not just a, an intellectual or a philosophical or even a theological question. It is all those things. But on, at its core, this is a deeply personal question. We feel this question. Every single one of us have stories and people that we love that we bring into this conversation. It's not just something that we can keep at an arm's length or a distance or stay cold and neutral to. This is an up close and a personal thing and we feel this. And it affects how we come at this conversation and how we think about it. Like for me, I have a younger brother. He's my brother, but he's also my best friend and he has had Crohn's disease for a long time. And I've watched his body betray him for years and I've sat by his hospital bed and I sit there and I watch him um, six feet tall and 119 pounds and I'm wondering to myself, there's something not right here. This isn't fair. Michael's a good man. He's not a perfect man, but he's a good man. He loves Jesus. He loves his family. He did nothing wrong. Why is this happening? God, how come you're not answering our prayers for healing? How come you're not intervening here and doing what you we know you can do. And no matter how hard we pray and how much we believe that God can heal Michael, God hasn't done it fully yet. And Michael's body still rebels against him from time to time. And it's, it's heartbreaking and I hate it and I wish it were different. I want it to be different. And so I come at this with deep emotion and I come at it with my own trauma, my own experiences, and so do you. Nobody can come to this. Uh, without any experience of pain. Pain equalizes the playing field here. And it affects how we engage with this conversation. And we have to be aware of that and keep this in mind as we go along. This is a deeply personal question. It's an important question. But it's also a human question. 
See, this is not just a question that followers of Jesus, Christians need to answer. It's for all of us to answer because we live in a world where things are not as they should be. We feel it, we intuitively know it, that something has gone wrong, that life is not the way it is supposed to be. And that inner kind of sense, that intuitive feeling that we have, it should lead us to wonder and to ask, why do I feel this way? Why is this feeling there? And that's where the story of God can help us because the story of God gives us an answer to that longing within us, that sense that this is not the way things are supposed to be. And it also explains how God himself has acted to put right what has gone wrong. And so this is not just an important or personal or human question, but ultimately it's a biblical question. It's a question the Bible can help us answer because the Bible is a story about what has gone wrong and what God has done to put right what has gone wrong. It's a story that begins with God, with a God who creates a world of beauty, a world where everything is described as very good. It's a world, if you can believe it, without suffering or the presence of pain or death or evil. And this God, everything orbits around him. His creation orbits around him. He's a God who is good and who is characterized by love and justice. And he creates humans, not as robots who are going to do whatever he pleases and just do his bidding, but he, he gives humans free will, the ability to choose between the good and the not good. He gives us the ability to, to have choice. He gifts us with that because he's good and loving and everything was good for a while. It was very good for a while. And then it all fell apart. And you know why it fell apart? It's because humans took the ability to choose that God had gave them and used it to choose what God said was not good. It happened when a man uh, named Adam and a woman named Eve bought the lie that you can find life apart from God. It happened when they gave in to the belief that they were better off doing their own thing. And from that one decision, decision to choose the not good, everything that God created to be good became twisted and broken and it affected us and it affected the world we live in and we've been living in that world ever since everything you and I experience in the present all the death the sickness the pain the suffering the natural disasters all of it that we see and experience in the present can be traced back to this one moment in the past that's the story and the explanation the Bible gives to where this all started. And so the, the suffering and injustice you feel, you feel and you see, it's not from God, it's from us. God didn't intend for us to live in a world where suffering exists. He designed us to live in a world without suffering and the presence of evil. And that's why we intuitively know, deep down in our souls, that something is wrong with the world. And it's why we long for a world without suffering and pain because we were made for another world. Author Karen Jobes says this, misfortune and death are certainly normal in the sense that they are universally experienced, but they are not normal when viewed from God's intention in creation and his plan in redemption. The idea that normal life should always be harmonious and free from suffering, despite universal suffering and death, remains a lingering echo of life in Eden as God created it before the fall. It is also a longing for the time when there will be no more tears, suffering, pain, and death. So that 
feeling you have that this world is not how it should be, well, it's there because you were made for another world by the God who created this world. You were created for a world without pain and suffering, a world that we've left behind, and a world that we look ahead to for those who are following Jesus. History is bookended by these two moments, and so we look behind, we sense that this is something we've left behind, and we're also longing for where history is headed. And for now, we live in this in-between time where suffering is a part of our story. This is the story of God. It's gritty, it's real, it's honest, and it's beautiful. It says suffering is real, suffering is hard, and God is good. And we can know he's good because the story the Bible tells us about Jesus. Which for me, this is where the conversation begins to turn and shift because the story of God in the Bible from front to back whispers the name of Jesus and it opens us up to the reality of a good God who acted himself to put right what has gone wrong in the world and in us. And there's a lot of places that we can go to to open this up for us and to, to show us how good God is, but one of the places that I want to take us that has special relevance to this barrier that we're wrestling with today comes from the book of Isaiah. Again, it's in the part of the Bible before Jesus in the Old Testament, and there we're going to see a God who is good beyond our wild, wildest imagination, even in the suffering and pain of this world. So check this out in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1. It says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, talking about this servant, um, the arm of the Lord, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually arrived on planet Earth, and it looks ahead to the time when Jesus would come and he would do what only he could do for us, rescue us from sin, Satan, and death and bring us into a relationship with God. And in this passage, we see a Jesus who didn't appear on earth with any fanfare. He didn't arrive on earth in a palace with pomp and circumstance, even though he was a king in heaven. He wasn't born in, in a palace and he didn't enjoy the life of royalty. We see that Jesus was rejected. He was looked down upon. He experienced sorrow and grief throughout his entire life. He had friends die. He had friends betray him. He wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, that there was grief, deep grief, that Jesus felt. And Jesus, well, he knew pain firsthand. 
the physical pain of nails being driven through his wrists and his feet in the cross. He felt the pain of rejection and betrayal. He wore emotional pain. He tasted the full sting of death. Jesus was no stranger to suffering and pain. <clears throat> pain, he experienced it. He felt it, he saw it, he endured it. And he came to do something about it. If you read the stories of his life, Jesus was out and about among the people, healing disease. He went to the cross. He took sin and suffering upon himself, our sin and suffering upon himself, even though he was innocent and not guilty. Yes, he died and was buried, but then he came back to life and he set all of history on a course to a day where evil and suffering and death dies. Jesus took what was fractured in this world and he started to set it right once again in his life and in his death and his resurrection. And as I think about this, it made me think about a time when my nose was broken when I was playing professional hockey in Colorado. We were playing a game in Arizona and uh, we were winning, the game was going well, and I was uh, chasing down one of the opposing team's defensemen into the corner um, and as we got to the corner, the whistle blew and I turned to, to skate away, but my, my spidey sense started to tingle and I, I had this sense that there was someone coming after me and so I turned around and I ran right into that defenseman's fist. He punched me right in the face and I saw stars and my nose started throbbing and all I could think about it was protect yourself and so I grabbed onto him and I held on for dear life just hoping that one of my teammates was going to come and rescue me and eventually they did and they broke it up and I skated back to the to the, uh, the bench and our trainer looks at me and he goes, we gotta go to the dressing room. Your nose is badly broken. It's out of place, it's disjointed. Okay, so we go to the, the training room and I'm sitting on the table and my nose is throbbing and I can just feel like my nose swelling, my face swelling. And my trainer looks at me and he says, this is bad and it's gonna hurt because I gotta set it back into place right now. It's gonna be painful and it might be the worst pain you've ever felt and you might pass out, but don't worry, I've got you. Are you ready? <laughs> no, I'm not ready. Like, this is gonna hurt, man. It hurt getting sucker punched, and now it's gonna hurt even worse when you snap my nose back into place, and so we gotta do it. Here we go. So he puts his fingers on my nose, and <clears throat> he cracks it back into place, and it was the worst physical pain I've ever felt. I almost passed out. I, I, I might have blacked out, but I just fell backwards and laid there and just felt the weight of this pain, and then I went back out and continued to play because that's what hockey players do. But in that moment, my nose was out of place and I needed someone to fix it, to put back into place what had been broken and fractured. And in the story of God, Jesus is the one who comes to put things back into its rightful place, to snap things back into place and set us onto a course to a world where everything will be put right, where suffering and evil and death will cease to exist. And this is where the Christian, Christian story stands alone in its response to the problem of suffering and evil. Because the story of God says that evil and suffering are so real that God himself had to come in the person of Jesus to deal with it himself. And that it wasn't like God had to twist Jesus' arm to do it. Actually, God, um, Jesus actually wanted to do this. Out of love, he came to do this for us. And here's what that means. That in Jesus, we have a God who gets our pain. Let me say that again because there's a beautiful and unrivaled truth in all the religions and all the worldviews and what they offer. And in Jesus, we have a God who gets our pain. 
because Jesus became human and he experienced what it was like to be human. Jesus identified with us and he loved us and he became just like us in every way while continuing to be fully God. He suffered for us and with us. He wept, he was betrayed and abandoned. His, he was beaten and mocked. His friends deserted him. He was left alone at the most difficult moment of his life. He lost loved ones. And in every other religious system, the God or the gods, they're distant, they're aloof from the people that they supposedly created and what they're going through, but not the God of Christianity, not Jesus. No, this God, he came close to us. He became one of us and he suffered. He was familiar with pain, Isaiah says. He knows what it's like firsthand. And so he's a God, Jesus is a God who can look on what you're suffering, look on your pain, and he can say, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. I felt it too. I mean, what other God can do this? No other God but Jesus can say that. What other God weeps and knows the pain of this world? What other God is willing to go down into the darkest valley to be with you and to walk you out the other side? No God but Jesus. He stands alone in this conversation and in the problem of evil and suffering. This is how good Jesus is. In Jesus, we have a God who gets our pain, but there's more because not only that, in Jesus, we have a God who came to do something about the pain of this world. Because when Jesus took on our pain and he bore our suffering in his life and in his death, he was doing something about the suffering we see and experience in this world. When he took all our guilt upon himself and he absorbed it at the cross, Jesus was dealing a death blow to evil and sin. And when he came back to life after being dead for three days, Jesus put an expiry date on evil and suffering and he made a way for us to have peace and a life with God and he offers us a hope beyond this broken world. And I don't know about you, but I need this hope as I walk through this thing called life, as I experience suffering in my own life and pain, and as I watch it unfold around me. See, as human beings, we need, a, we need this because we live in a world where suffering exists. We need to know that what has gone wrong will be dealt with. We need to know that all the suffering and pain we feel has an end date. We need to know that justice is coming and it will be executed. We need some kind of future to look forward to. We need a story that leads us somewhere that will help us make sense of who we are and what is going on in us and around us. And with Jesus, we have that story and we have that future. Listen just a few chapters later in Isaiah as he has this vision about the world that is coming, the future that those who follow Jesus have. Listen to what he says. This is God speaking through Isaiah, verse 17 of chapter 65, it says this, See, I will create, God will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take the light in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will 
be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they build, bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. And when you have Jesus, this is the hope you have. This is the future that awaits you. A day is coming when this will not be something written in a Bible, but will become a reality. There will be no more death. There will be a day where there's no more mourning or crying or pain or loss. It will cease to exist. All the sad things will come untrue and the hands that were nailed to the cross will reach down and will wipe every tear from your eye. This is the future that awaits those who embrace Jesus. And all we have to do in this life is believe in him and his story becomes our story. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. This is the help we have when we're confronted by the pain and the suffering of this world. In that in Jesus, we have a God who suffered and gets our pain. And in Jesus, we have a God who did something to address the suffering of this world. And I know this doesn't wrap all this up with a neat and tidy bow, because in the end, no matter how we answer this question, this is still gonna be hard because suffering and pain is hard. It's not easy. But what I hope you've heard today is that Christianity offers you and me and all of us an unshakable hope in the middle of the suffering we experience, and it offers us an unrivaled God in Jesus who is really good and beautiful, someone that we can run to, someone that we can rest in, someone that understands what we experience, and someone who ultimately did something about it in his life, death, and resurrection. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, and this is what can help us face suffering, this barrier to belief.